gardening is like a very, you know, it, number one, it's, it's very therapeutic. It's a way to re-engage with a lot of the relationships that our society has forgotten about. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast with me, Alyssa Benjamin. Our Nature explores the methods, systems, and practices that bring us into greater alignment with the natural world. The opportunity to live a more joyful and harmonious existence is available to each of us right in this very moment. So join me, and let's rediscover what comes naturally. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast. My name is Alyssa Benjamin, and I'm a back-to-nature guide, intuitive coach, and host of this podcast. Something that I have not talked a lot about on this podcast is that I'm currently getting my forest ther- therapy certification. Forest therapy practices originated in Japan and are known there as Shinrin-yoku, which translates literally as forced bathing. Forced therapy is about connecting with the natural world as a way to restore health. We have evolved for thousands of years to be engaging with our natural environments. So it's no surprise that spending time in these environments is essential for our health and well-being. But forest therapy is not just about human health and well-being, It's about how the well-being of the people and the forest is interconnected. And when we are in right relationship with the natural world, we can begin to understand how to build a more sustainable one. Here's an excerpt from the Handbook of Forest Therapists. Quote, Forest therapy is a deliciously relational practice. It brings us into embodied interactions with the more-than-human world, as well as with other humans in wonderful ways. Equally important, it evokes new experiences of relationship with ourselves, in particular with our bodies, and even more particularly with the source of intuition, connection, imagination, and wisdom that is centered in our hearts. This self-knowledge sets the stage for a deep journey into our knowing of the world. Many of the practices I share already are similar to what I'm learning in forest therapy, but I'm so thrilled to deepen my studies and tools with this certification. I will begin to lead forest therapy walks in LA in the coming months, but if you join me during homecoming, which is my course that starts at the beginning of May, you will be the first to experience what forest therapy has to offer because I will be guiding a forest therapy walk during our time together. Speaking of homecoming, I will officially be closing the doors on Sunday, April 17th, which is about a week and a half from now. So if you have started to fill out an application, this is a gentle reminder to finish it before April 17th so that you have the chance to join us for this life-changing experience. If you're listening and wondering what homecoming is, Homecoming is a four-day retreat and six-week course that is the most intimate, high-touch experience I offer. If you're feeling burnt out, overwhelmed, stuck in some area in your life, this course will show you what a life of joy, ease, spaciousness, and magnetism feels like. And then it will give you the tools to continue to, to return back to that place when you feel imbalanced. But don't take it from me. 
I wanted to share a few words from past participants. Lauren C. says, Homecoming is a gift that I am so grateful I gave myself and wish I could share with everyone. It exceeded my expectations and is such a special experience that is difficult to put into words. Alyssa is a magical being that cares so deeply about helping others, especially by establishing a relationship through the healing powers of the natural world. Her passion for this work is inspiring and attitude is infectious. The lessons I learned and the people I met during homecoming, I will always cherish and be thankful for. P.S. It is a ton of fun, too. Carrie C. says, Homecoming was one of the most expansive and transformative experiences of my life. Showing up in a community setting with compassion and vulnerability was challenging at first and hard to let go of at the end. Alyssa's care for the living world around her shines through each workshop. I soon realized that my personal inner knowing to get back to nature at the start of homecoming is a shared value of most of us because it's who we are and where we belong. Alyssa guides you back to help find that deeply buried authentic self with nature poised as the foundational tool. I'll leave a link to apply to homecoming in the show notes. It's a short two-question application, and we've got such a wonderful group coming together already, and I have just a couple spots left. So if you're listening to this and there's a part of you that's lighting up or there's a part of your intuition that's feeling drawn to this experience, as I said, the application deadline is going to be Sunday, April 17th, so it's not too far from now. So um, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, which would be Wednesday, April 6th, you have about a week and a half to apply. All right, let's get into this week's episode. This week I'm speaking with Farmer Rishi, a farmer, educator, and consultant based in Los Angeles, working in the field of regeneration. Everything Rishi does is with the intention to help people understand the basic principles behind healing of our bodies, both our physical bodies and our earthen body. He's the founder of Sarvodia Farms, a nonprofit plant nursery, urban farm, and event space that offers hard-to-find fruit trees, perennial vegetables, and medicinal herbs. Rishi is also the founder of Healing Gardens, which connects people with local private organic gardens and farms while supporting gardeners and farmers who are healing our earth using regenerative practices. In this conversation, we discuss Rishi's journey from computer scientist to owner of Sarvodia Farms, his rock bottom and the realization that changed everything, the many lessons that gardening teaches us, surprising advice for the easiest way to get started growing something, the practice of inner gardening, the genesis and mission of healing gardens, and what's currently happening at Sarvodia Farms. As Rishi writes, quote, may we all leave rich soil, running rivers, and smiling faces with our every footstep. So without further ado, let's get into my conversation with Farmer Rishi.
Farmer Rishi. Is that how you like to be called, Farmer Rishi? Yeah, yeah, it's my, uh, you can call it my stage name. Okay. (laughs) So hello, Farmer Rishi. Welcome to the Our Nature podcast. I'm super excited to have you here. This has been a long time coming. We've been (laughs) back and forth. Um, So I feel like this is the right moment, though. I trust that this was the right time for us to finally come together to speak. And one of the first questions I like to open up every episode with is asking about what your relationship was like to nature as a child. Because I find that when we're children, we have less of the conditioning out of our innate and instinctual ways of connecting with our environments. And so it's always such an interesting way in um, and sort of window into what informed your connection now. So what was your relationship like? Well, I'm going to have to rephrase the the question for myself because, you know, uh, like like we were talking about before we started, my my conceptions and and of certain language is changing, and so, you know, if you're, um, how do I even say this? So, I think what you're asking is what was my connection to the outdoors, to plants, the soil, right? Yes. Yes. Um, and, and you know, I grew up in, I grew up in the suburbs here of LA. Um, I, you know, I played in the backyard. I, you know, sometimes my family would would go camping, um, but it was, you know, it was a very um, maybe walled in experience. You know, like I I grew up um, surrounded by the walls of suburbia and and the time that I, you know the time that I got to spend outside was mostly uh, you know playing on lawns playing in the in the school um, school playground you know the one thing I'll say is my my mom um, my mom's been a gardener from for my whole life uh, my grandparents as well um, so there was a there was a bit of you know we had we had a, a number of fruit trees in the in the yard and and there was that experience of of just like you know having fresh fruit from our trees picking and and like i just have like memories of like you know peeling pomegranates from a very young age i think that was something that to me was very normal and i remember i remember in like third grade my mom brought some like pomegranates into school and none of the other kids in the school had even even knew what a pomegranate was and I was like I was like what do you mean you don't know what a pomegranate is <laughs> and I was like this was just like a, a normal part of my existence every year uh we have pomegranates and my grandparents have pomegranates too you know I feel like a lot of uh like uh people who are you know I don't know like nature influencers or something these days will be like oh you know i grew up in the forests of of new hampshire and we would spend our days out in the woods and like no i I don't have any of that Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's not my experience Mm -hmm. and and what's great about it is it doesn't need to be because we all have an inherent belonging i'm going to call it to the earth that's maybe a better term because i know you have um some thoughts about 
the term nature, which we can talk about because I do believe language is important. And I've also been on a learning journey with that. But um, yeah, it, it's it's really nice to have these conversations because there are so many different experiences that people have and it can look so many ways. Like some people have grown up, I grew up in a really rural ex- environment and then I was like, well, screw that. I'm going to move to a city and have a different experience. And then I realized that just my intuition was calling me back to a more balanced um, and deeper connection in my day to day. But um, it's kind of nice. And I'm sure it's expansive for some people who grew up in urban spaces to hear that, you know, you grew up in such an urban space and now you are a farmer and a gardener and you have a mission about getting people in urban spaces more connected to the land. And so um, thank you for sharing that. I was reading on your website that your interest in farming and gardening began in college. And rather than share your story in my words, I would love for you to share your story about that in your own words about you know, the moment or series of moments or that period of time when you began to turn your attention towards the earth and explore your relationship to it? So I was a, I was um, a computer science major for my undergraduate degree. And, and I, I chose, I actually, you know, I actually chose to do that on my own. It was something that I was interested in. I've always been, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm good at math. I like, you know, I like logic puzzles and uh, computer science was something that kind of allowed me to, to, you know, explore that interest. Just the, I think when I got to school, the reality of what it meant to be, you know, uh, a software engineer started to like hit home a little bit more because there was just a lot of time spent on a, on a computer screen um, a lot of time spent sitting, a lot of time spent indoors. And that's not something that, you know, I think up until then I had really thought about as affecting me. It's not like I really considered myself a super, you know, outdoorsy person. I think it was just getting to the point where it was feeling like a little bit extreme. Um, just the, you know, the, the sheer amount of time that I was, I was having to spend uh, staring at a computer screen, which I know now is like, <laughs> you know, it's it funny. Like that was, uh, you know, I graduated school 2010. So it was like 2006 I started. And at that time, like sitting in front of a computer for that long was like kind of, was pretty rare, you know, like computers were not part of everyone's job, everyone's daily life, uh, you know, in, in the, in the way that, that they are now. Um, and, and so I was just looking for, um, I started to realize, you know, that like, uh, I, I wanted to, to spend more time, uh, outdoors. I was, I think I, I was already not, I think, but I was already experiencing some, some health issues, like my body just not feeling, um, super energized and having digestive problems. Um, so I was starting to explore, you know, just, I was just starting to explore, you know, I was doing, I was trying different diets. I was, I was taking yoga. I was doing, I was meditating. 
I was getting interested in in the the food that I was eating. You know, I was I was wondering like what is what does this word organic mean? You know, like organic food. What is that? And eventually, that got me. Uh, you know, I kind of got um, focused on the food for a bit, and no, <laughs> for a long bit. And so, yeah, in college, I I um, I joined with a, a group of students that was trying to restart a community garden on the campus. And and at the same time, I also, you know, like I mentioned before, my mom um, had always been gardening. And so kind of simultaneously, I, I started working with this, you know, this community garden on campus. At the same time, when I would go home for breaks, I was helping my mom, you know, rip out some of the lawn and start a, start a vegetable garden at home. I think there was a lot of interest in that time. I mean, the interest was starting to build at that time around like, um, you know, the quality of food and what it meant to to eat food of quality. Like, you know, Michael Pollan was was in the air all the time. Um, so that's what got me um, starting to go outdoors, starting to, you know, get my hands in the soil, starting to plant seeds and, and, and primarily, you know, I was, I, at that time I was interested in, in growing, uh, growing my own food. Um, and so that was, that was the beginning of it. I also then spent some time, um, on, uh, I went in the summer, uh, between my junior and senior year, I went to, uh, Vandana Shiva's farm in, in India. I stayed there for three months between my junior and senior year, and then again after I graduated. So it's so this started in college, I'm just thinking of the timeline, and then Sarvodaya started in 2014. And so take us back to that moment. When did, because I think exploring things for your own personal well-being is, there's there's definitely like a difference between doing that and then you really kind of went all in and started this farm and there's an institute now, but let's start with the farm with the idea that urban farms can grow food for urban people. So I'd love to hear about, you know, when that came into existence and what your vision was and maybe now where, where it's gone since you started that. Yeah. I've been through, you know, I've been doing this now for like, over 12 years and so i've been through many different phases and cycles and shifts um you know after i after i graduated college um i knew i was not going to go into software engineering uh, i knew i wanted to do something um food and farming related i spent a couple like two years just working on the the garden at my parents' home and, and teaching classes and doing consultations. I tried landscaping. I tried, you know, I was doing lectures outside. I was doing, uh, doing tours and workshops at my parents' house and trying to figure out how to, you know, do this work and make a living, uh, which is a kind of pretty much still the same process mm-hmm. today. And uh, yeah, I, I worked for um, I worked for a school district for a while, helping with their school gardens. I worked at the 
Los Angeles Arboretum Botanic Garden. Um, and and uh, so this whole time I was like gaining experience, you know, trying to learning about um, plants and soil in different contexts uh, and developing relationships with, with um, land, you know, over, over years, you know, like my relationship with the garden at my parents' house is, is very deep. I've, I've spent, you know, I've spent a, over a decade um, working on and, and caring for that space. Yeah, and then in uh, in 2014, I was I was just wanting to um, kind of uh, try out what I've learned on a on a bigger space. I didn't really have a lot of clear ideas about what you know what a farm I would run would would turn into or how it would sustain itself or what its impact would be. Um, but I was able to get a get someone to let me use. Uh, their essentially very large backyard, uh, which was you know about half an acre of land, and so we started. I started this farm, just started you know laying it out, bringing in compost, putting out the irrigation, not really knowing what was going to happen. Started planting you know started planting vegetables, and it was like okay, how are we going to sell these vegetables? What are we going to do with this? <laughs> um, you know uh, education and kind of advocacy have, 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 were already a part of my work. Um, so I knew, okay, you know, how am I going to use, I was thinking like, how am I going to use this space uh, as an education space? How am I going to use this space as an advocacy space? Um, so what eventually evolved during that early time was that we started um, distributing our produce through a CSA program. So if those of you who are unfamiliar, CSA is like, when you sign up with a farm and the farm delivers you a box of produce every week. Um, so we started doing that. And then we, uh, and then uh, we were doing a, a farmer training program, which we're still doing today, but in a much different form. We had a training program that was like four months long and uh, people signed up. We would, they would basically like run the farm with us and I would, I would uh, oversee, you know, the work that they were doing and then and teach them classes every week and, you know, give them homework and handouts and things like that. And the intention at that time or what I, you know, what I thought the farm was about at that time was trying to develop a model of how a urban farm could be financially sustainable, could you know, provide an income for an, you know, for an urban farmer, for myself. Um, and also, you know, have a, have a, um, a beneficial impact on the community, get food into the community, um, help people learn how to grow food. Um, and there was definitely some areas where, you know, that model was successful. Uh, but overall, <laughs> overall, it after three years, it led to extreme burnout on my part and uh, you know uh, financially it never worked out um, even in terms of the you know the mission of growing you know one of the things about urban farming is you'll what you'll hear a lot of people talking about is oh like we should you know grow food in the areas that people need food and 
you know, in my experience and in the experience of like urban farmer farming researchers I've talked to, like that doesn't actually work. Uh, it's, Why not? You know, it's just a uh, urban land. There's very little open urban land. There's a lot of people in urban areas. Um, you know, the idea that we could actually grow enough food in urban farms to feed any significant part of the population is is totally a dream. Like, it's just not possible. Um, you know, we were we were growing. Our farm was extremely, extremely productive uh, for the amount of space that we had. And it was like at the end of the day, we could feed about 35 families, you know, and we're in Los Angeles. Like there's thousands and thousands of families around us. Um, And also growing food in urban areas is, uh, you know, you have, you have urban water rates, you have urban land prices, you have, you know, like you have urban prices for everything. So the idea that you can grow food, you know, close to communities that need the food, well, you're also growing the most expensive food on the planet. You know, like try growing, you know, grow food and growing food in LA, like you're literally on like the most, some of the most expensive real estate on the planet. And it doesn't, uh, it doesn't actually work out that well. So you talked about how you had that model for a time. What did that evolve into? Because now you have a farm in Pomona. I mean, you, you're I'm you're doing so much. When I go to your website, there's you've got beekeeping classes. You've got you know the farmer training program that you mentioned. You've got all sorts of classes. We're going to talk about healing gardens because that's a whole other venture that I want to want to get into. You're donating. Um, distributing food for to pay what you can markets mm-hmm. in the area. So yeah, I'd love to hear what happened when you like that moment, I think it can be really helpful for people to hear what happened when you realized this business is no longer sustainable. You were burnt out. You didn't have any money left. What did you do? How did you get from there to now this place where you are making a big impact? Uh, well, first I had a lot of uh, mental and physical health problems for about two years. And I, I did not really, uh, the farm was pretty much closed for that time. Uh, I had to do a lot of uh, deep digging into, you know, understanding what my motivation was for doing this work. And, and also what uh, people's interest was in this work. And like, why is, you know, why is it that there's, there's so many urban farmers around. I've, I've known so many people over the last 10 years that um, want to, you know, promote gardening, promote like uh, um, urban farming, help people grow food, you know, do landscapes. I've seen so many people get into this, get burnt out and, and, you know, end up having to leave. Um, but there's still this like immense draw to, to the idea. Right. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm probably the, the person who's, who's drawn to it 
Uh, I'm not, maybe not the most, but I'm, I'm definitely like more, one of the more extreme cases. Um, and so I really had to think about like, what is it? Like what, what do people, what, it, what attracts, I had, I mean, I really had to ask myself again, like it was really for me going back to the beginning of um, what drew me to the garden. And, and I had to let go a lot of, of a lot of the dogma that I think I had picked up over the years, you know, like, like the idea that like, you know, oh, we, we you know, urban farms are gonna, are gonna feed, you know, low income people and, and we need to start urban farms for this and we need to start urban farms to, to uh, reverse climate change. And, and, you know, this is so important for carbon sequestration. Um, like a lot of these things, it's like, it's not that they're not true. It's just, they're not like, I don't know. They're not the main dish. Um, and I really had to like dig down and figure out what's, what's the main dish? You know, why, why do I want to do this? What is keeping me through all this, you know, through all the pain and suffering I've been through, like, why do I still want to come back to this? And what I started to realize was that, you know, it's not the, yeah, you know, it's not the carbon sequestration. It's not like the, it's not even the food, you know, I, I really started to realize like, it's not the food. Um, and, and that, I think that was like a major focus for me for a lot, for many years was like, Oh, we, you know, we need to, we need to feed people this like super well regenerative, you know, nutrient dense, like people need to have this food. You know, I, I, I don't really, I'm not Christian. I don't know anything about the Bible, but there's one quote, uh, which, which someone, uh, turned me on to and, and, uh, you know, the, the, there's some line in the Bible that says man does not live by bread alone. Hmm. Um, and I like that idea because it's, it's the idea that food is not the only thing that feeds you. You know, it's, it's not yeah. just what you put in your mouth that forms your body, that forms your mind, that forms your, you know, your nutrition. You know, we're fed in, in so many different ways um, from our relationships with people, our relationships with, with plants and animals. You know, we're fed by the sun, we're fed by the wind, we're fed by water. And so understand like starting to understand these concepts um started to shift my understanding and and i start and i'm and i started to come back to what 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 attracts me to gardening well gardening is like a very you know it, number one is it's very therapeutic it's a way to re-engage with a lot of the relationships that our society has forgotten about it's not that People in urban settings don't have relationships with the earth. We maybe have a limited range of relationships. You know, we have, we have a strong relationship with our phone. We have a strong relationship with our TV. We have a strong relationship with our indoor spaces. And I don't think any of those are bad or wrong. I think that we can just find ourselves being out of balance because this, you know, one of the things that I 
one of the concepts I like to share is the idea of the earth body and that this earth is our body. Um, mm. So it's not so much that we're in wrong relationship or that we're disconnected. To me, what I feel is that we're just, you know, it's like we're not feeling a part of ourselves that is asking to be felt. We're kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're relying on land and soil and plants and animals for food. And we, we have a, a, we have an extractive relationship with them. Uh, and what all of those relatives of ours, I feel are asking of us is to remember that we, or it's not <laughs> what all those relatives of, of ours are asking us is to remember that they exist. Remember that they need care and love and attention just as much as our, you know, our phones and our cars and our TVs do. Have you heard of um, Enrique Salmon? No. He is a, it, what you're saying reminds me of, um, he coined the concept of concentric ecology. He's a, um, he's an ethnobotanist and he's a Rara Muri, which is an indigenous tribe, an indigenous community that's in Mexico, um, northern Mexico. And basically he says what you are saying, where he says that, you know, we, we have been brought up to believe that it's like nature and humans. And, and you talk about this in your keynote that I was watching that humans have only brought destruction to the planet. And that's a very like colonial framework because it also sort of erases all of the indigenous communities who have not, who have been like stewarding the land for thousands of years. Um, And what he says, what I find is really interesting is he actually believes that humans can be a keystone species to environments. Um, And I wonder if that's, you know, when you're talking about like gardening and that relationship of like the earth and body, if, Mm -hmm. if you feel similarly. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the idea of the keystone species, but I definitely agree of with, you know, part of the work that, I do and you know that my organizations do is to to basically give people that reminder you know when they walk into our gardens uh, or they walk into our farm you know it's it's a I think one of the strongest messages that we're trying to convey is that people were part of the creation of this you know people coke these people in this that you see on this in this space co-conspired with the plants and the soil and the trees and the animals to create this space. And that's, you know, I mean, that is a subversive message um, and it's a powerful message. And I think that's, you know, I don't know if, if maybe, maybe if there's one thing I would want people to take away from my work, it would be that. 
Hmm. I like when you you mentioned this. Um, I'm always trying, this is a quote from you. I'm always trying to help people remember their relationship to our earth and heart. And I find gardens to be one of the best avenues for that. Can you share more directly about why gardens maybe can be a bridge for people who are exploring that for themselves? You know, I think what we were talking about earlier of this idea of like nature is like, you know, nature is outside. Nature is some place you have to go to. Um, nature is also a place that you don't really have a relationship with. You you visit nature, and and gardening is a way that you experience, you play, you create, uh, you explore with this body, and and it. I think there's like a lot, I, I, I think what I enjoy about it too is that, you know, when you go to nature, there's like all these rules and you feel very like afraid to touch anything, you know. Um, in when the, your conception is of the garden, the garden allows for your mistakes, the garden allows for your exploration, the garden allows for your, your growth and, and, uh, and, so it's just a way to, you know, I mean, so many people come to us who are just like, oh, you know, everything I touch dies and, oh, you know, I'm a brown thumb and they're just so terrified of of plants and soil and compost. And, and so, I, I, you know, what we try to do is just like be, I, I think it's just like the, the, the conception of the relationship has to start from the, from a more like gentle and, and open space. And then people can, can grow and explore into it. And also, you know, gardening is accessible, you know, like I have, I live in a, a, a condo. I don't have a yard. I have a concrete patio. Um, and I built a beautiful, you know, I, I, I built a beautiful garden here. Um, I've got trees and hanging pots and ponds, and I've got birds that come and bathe in my pond every day. And I've, you know, I've got my spinach and my cilantro and my chives and whatever growing. And so it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 I think it helps mesh the idea that I have, to, I have to say this sometimes to people like, and it's kind of funny to say it, but it's like all of this earth is earth, you know, mm-hmm. whether you're in the city or you're in a rural, like all, you know, all of this concrete around me is earth. All of this asphalt is earth. All of this plastic is earth. Like, you know, people don't get that. You know, there is a separation between this is, you know, oh, this is this is nature, which is good, and this is not nature, which is like, what is that? Where are you making that separation? Uh, so, yeah, I just like to say, all of this earth is earth. If someone is listening to this, and you have so many incredible classes. Um, for those who are local to the LA area who are intimidated by gardening and want to learn. And I know you, you have a membership um, where you do online gardening classes. 
So I would encourage people to become a member and then they can get access to that. But if someone is listening right now and they're just hearing this and they're having their inner dialogue of feeling like intimidated or feeling like you said, they have a brown thumb and they kill out their plans, but they'd like to try. They'd like to work with that inner criticism and become more open and and try their hand at growing something. How would you suggest they get started? Like where would one even begin? What's a step one? Uh, I actually like to get people started. Um, especially in, in spaces where you don't have like a lot of outdoor space. I, I like starting with composting um, because, you know, again, a lot of people are afraid of, of killing plants. Well, if you're good at killing things, then, you know, composting, <laughs> composting is like, um, well, I mean, there, I wouldn't want to, I don't want to say there's nothing to kill, but it's like, you know, the, it's a death centric process. Um, so if you're good at creating death, then, then uh, start with composting. And also because, you know, everyone's eating, everyone has food scraps, leftovers. So it's not something that uh, you have to like buy a lot of stuff for. Um, and so one of the easy things, this is like a very super, super easy thing for anyone to do. If you want to just try composting at home, uh, you just get like a big pot, you know, get like a 15 gallon or 20 gallon pot and get yourself a bag of like the cheapest bag of compost you can find at your local hardware store or nursery. And all you're going to do, you're going to put your pot needs to have holes in it. You're going to put like one inch of that bagged compost on the bottom of the pot. You're going to put your start, you know, and then every time you have food scraps, you're going to put the food scraps, you put like one to two inches of food scraps. Then you put another inch of compost over that. Then come back again, put another inch or two of food scraps, put an inch of compost over that. And do that until it's filled up. Wait a couple weeks and you're going to have some beautiful compost. Like it's really that easy. Um, and I think, you know, that's just like a, a simple thing that people can do to kind of feel comfortable that they can start doing this. And what I love about that too, in the same way that everything becomes like the cycle, you can't have, you know, death without rebirth and you can't have life without death is like that compost then can become the source of new life and new growth from there. So it's like, it's the perfect way to set yourself up for success. And in fact, you will probably find that, you know, some of the seeds from your bell peppers or tomatoes or pumpkins that you are composting are now sprouting out of your compost pile. So there you go. you'll see there that process. An unintended consequence, perfect unintended consequence. No matter where you are, if you do this, even though you all you added was food scraps and bagged compost, I promise that by the end of three months, you will find roly-polies, you'll find centipedes, you may find worms, you, you'll find ants. Uh, it's amazing to see how, um, how you know, living beings find a way to find you when you 
are creating space and offering food for them. You know, I have this tiny little pond. It's like a 15-gallon pond here on my patio. And it's, you know, it's got plants in it. It's got fresh water. And every day, I have about five birds come and take a bath in this pond. And I'm surrounded by concrete. I'm surrounded, you know, there's there's no, no one else has a garden over here. And the birds find me. And now, now I feel like they're telling their friends because, you know, I see so many of them. Um, and, and they're all, yeah. I mean, that's also a really kind thing to do in L.A. with, you know, in L.A. area and California with water. My One of my Ayurvedic teachers, this woman, Dr. Baswati Bhattacharya, when I asked her what's like something we can do to connect with the natural world and bring more harmony into our life, she said, you know, put out some water so that the animals have a source that they can drink from or, you know, she just said like, remember that you can provide that for them. And, um, I just thought it was nice, a nice reciprocal way and something easy. Anyone could do that. I mean, maybe it wouldn't look as nice as your pond, but anyone could take some water and put it out in whatever vessel they have. So I think that that's really nice. You mentioned in your when I was reading about you that you were forced to practice inner gardening. Uh, I love the way that you described that, which, um, and this happened after forgetting that caring for a garden also meant caring for the gardener. And I'd love to hear more about how is it that when we care for our own well-being, we then can care for the well-being of others, our community, and the earth. Like, how are those two interrelated? And like I was saying, when I was um, when I was running the farm, I was so focused on, you know, like, oh, like we, you know, we got to. It was a. I was in a kind of like a mission headspace. You know, I was trying to 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 complete this mission. Um, and so, you know, when you're in that kind of mission headspace, everything takes a backseat to the mission, um, including yourself. And so it, that meant that I was, even though I was teaching these lessons about or sharing these lessons that I had learned in the garden about, you know, the, the abundance that comes from, from care, you know, um, the our garden and our farm is a demonstration of of what nurturing does to any living being, and you know nurturing and attention and care um, bring flourishing. Uh, but I've kind of I've forgotten that lesson from my from myself, and I was I was too fo- I was focused on you know, caring for others and, you know, not uh, finding the space or the time to, to care for myself. And that's still something I, I struggle with, you know, today. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, in the, in the process of kind of finding my own balance again, it was, it was again, incorporating myself into the garden 
you know, and, and realizing that, uh, you know, the garden is not dependent on me, but I am, uh, you know, I'm an organ of this garden. I'm an organ of this, the body of this garden. And so for me to function well as, you know, as an organ, um, and for the garden to, to, to be healthy, then I also, you know, I need to, to take care of myself. I need to make sure that, um, you know, and, and uh, it's not just, you know, it's not just, there's some part of like the wellness and health movement that is very focused on food. Um, and I think I had strayed into that quite a bit. And so finding, you know, the inner gardening was remembering that, you know, it's not, it's not just the food. Like I have to pay attention to, um, my, you know, the, the way that I relate to myself, the way that I speak to myself, you know, I would never go out and, and tell a plant in my garden, like, you're not doing enough, you know, like, you're not being productive enough. Like, and I was telling me myself that kind of stuff all the time. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 like I said, I still struggle with that. Uh, so, the practice of the inner gardening was, you know, learning to treat myself the way that I'm, I, I'm, I practice treating the plants and the soil in my garden. Yeah. I think it's, it really speaks to what you were saying before about how we are not, we are not separate from the earth. So if we are, like when we treat ourselves poorly, we are also treating the earth poorly because we are it. So the two are so linked, like you said. And often I find that uh, when I'm really struggling and I have an intentional practice of this, but if you let your intuition guide you and you are curious and you approach things with a beginner's mind, the plants and animals and elements all around you will mirror lessons back to you all the time. And it really helps me get out of my own ego mind and into a more grounded place and into a place that's, you know, less trapped. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, Part of this understanding is that, you know, if the earth is one, if the earth is one body, then all parts of this body are living all the time. And if all parts of this body are living all the time, all parts of this body are conscious all the time. And there we're, we're listening to each other. We're in communication. You are being witnessed. You're being spoken to. And uh, yeah, it's a matter of opening yourself up to hearing the, the, uh, hearing the comfort and the care, you know, hearing the softness of those beings around you that are trying to help you.
That's a perfect segue into talking about your company, Healing Gardens, because it, it, well, I want to explain what it is. It's a network of organic gardens and farms that can be booked for events, birthday parties, dates. That's a good one, a date (laughs) or any other occasion. And it's sort of like what you said, the garden provides so much in and our relationship to it and our relationship and connection is really powerful. And so can you talk a bit about the genesis of Healing Gardens and what your vision is for it? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I didn't even like get to finishing about the farm too, but like the 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 uh, conception of Healing Gardens and the change of the change of uh ethos behind our farm kind of came together, which was moving towards um, displaying urban gardens, not at, not just as sources of food, but as sources of, of therapy, as, as places of, of tremendous beauty, as places of um, availability of relationship. Uh, availability of relationships that are generally hard to find in urban areas. And so, yeah, Healing Gardens is basically all about giving people the, well, there's two, two parts to Healing Gardens. One from the, you know, from the side of the guests, we're looking to help our, our customers, our guests um, have access to these kind of spaces in, you know, in urban areas where there's really like, there's been, there's so much land that is treated as object and, you know, that's abused and that's neglected. Actually, that's very true in rural areas too. (laughs) But um, there's so much land that is, there's so much land and space that is treated as object and we want to give people uh, access to land that is treated as being and as relationship and and you know obviously the, all the the therapeutic benefits that come along with being with with the uh, inland that's been treated that way so healing gardens is is a way for you know people to to just find themselves in beautiful um, relaxing therapeutic spaces that are close to them you know, this is not, and again, moving away from this idea of like nature is two hours away in the mountains or nature is the thing I have to drive to. Like, no, there's a beautiful, you know, engaging um, relational space that is five minutes from you or 10 minutes from you, maybe that you can walk to, or hopefully, you know, eventually that everyone can, can walk to, you know, and, each space is, is different. Each space is unique. Each space is tended by, you know, tended by someone who's really um, engaged with the space and and caring for the space. Um, so, you know, part of it is, again, like coming back to what I was saying before, like giving people this, this the opportunity to see that, that these gardens are created by people and that this is some, you know, this is... Uh, a type of relationship that hum- humans can have with with plants and soil and animals. And so, yeah, like you said, you know, people can, 
there's gardens that you can book as venues. There's gardens that are having workshops and events regularly. There's uh, gardens that offer all types of different um, like private experiences, like like dates, like garden tours, like uh, you know, like private art workshops, kids classes. Um, there's all or, all sorts of stuff happening on Healing Gardens. Um, and then the other part of it from the host side, you know, like I mentioned before, I know so many people that have have put a lot of time and effort into urban gardens and urban farms. And it's, you know, always a financial struggle to keep these spaces going. And so what we are trying to do is, you know, support the gardeners in being able to maintain their spaces financially. Um, so, you know, gardeners um, charge for the, the services that they offer and, hope, and also we're trying to do it in a way that is not like, it's, it's a way of elevating the value of the garden in the eyes of the public, you know, because when, when the garden is just about food, then food is like, okay, there's a $2 lettuce and there's a, you know, $3 tomato and it's hard to make that add up in a, or it's impossible to make that add up in an urban garden. Um, but you know, how much are you, how much is your therapist charging you? You know, probably like $250 an hour. Right. Um, so how can we, it was a way for us to say, you know, these gardens have proven to have more therapeutic value than a lot of anxiety and depression meds, you know, that have the, this being in these spaces is proven to be, uh, to just be healing. Um, and so this, again, like displaying gardens as therapeutic spaces, talking about them as they're kind of elevating uh, people's conception of what a garden is and why gardens are urban gardens are valuable. Yeah. So from a host perspective, uh, we're trying to help our hosts um, make, make money by sharing their spaces and doing it in a way that doesn't like, add on to what they're already doing. Like we want our hosts really just to be focused on creating and maintaining the beautiful space. And, you know, and the money that they get from sharing their space is, is hopefully just, you know, doesn't take a lot more, much more additional effort beyond that. Um, and we also, we provide insurance to the hosts. So that, you know, that's like a big piece that is really difficult to do on your own. Um, so that gives that kind of comfort for for people to be able to share their space, and they get you know online online listing and credit card transactions and communication, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so we're just trying to kind of butter the wheel between urban gardens and and urban people. I think it's brilliant, and it also. It not only provides the host with some financial compensation for all their effort, I think it's a it's just like a wonderful way to celebrate them and their all of the work that they've done. Um, because gardeners are I mean, you know this better than I do, but like gardeners are really passionate about their work because they're in there every day and um 
So I just think it's, it's so, it's so great. Um, and it just feels like a wonderful nexus of all of these needs on both sides. It's like a win-win for everyone. Yeah, that's what we're hoping. And and also one thing we've, you know, I've also found is gardeners want to share their space. You know, they spend so much time creating, creating this beauty. And, and there's, you know, there's a few people, of course, that, that want to, to keep the, you know, keep it as a private sanctuary, but so many people that we, that I've met, like, they want it to, they want people to be able to come in. They want people to be able to experience the same things that they've experienced being in their garden. Um, and it's just like the difficulty of doing that in this world where, you know, we're so concerned about liability and, and, and security and all that. So just, we're trying to kind of, you know, like I said, uh, smooth some of those those things out so that people feel comfortable sharing their space. And so far, uh, you know, we have, we have like 30 something gardens here in LA. We've got a couple in the Bay area. We have one in Ohio. Um, we're hoping to bring some on in like New York soon. Um, so, so far, like, uh, most of the gardens have had, a, have had a very positive experience. We get a lot of, you know, we get great feedback from our, from the people who are coming to the gardens and we've had, uh, we've had, you know, marriage proposals. We've had, uh, we did have a wedding recently, you know, we've had, um, anniversaries and baby showers and, and bachelorette parties, you know, like a flower arrangement, black bachelorette party, you know, (laughs) so I have one more question before we wrap up. And I know you wanted to mention a few of you got, I mean, I have a very, all of you listeners out there, I know we've got people all over the world and all over the country, but I also know there are people who are local to the LA area. And so I'd love for you to just share what you're doing at the farm and just, you know, maybe in, I think it's no better invitation than from the creator, (laughs) himself so would you share you know sort of what you're what you're doing and how people who are interested might get involved absolutely yeah so our our farm like i mentioned now is is uh, much more focused on on just the experience you know I, I think what i found after so many years is that people just love being there they love being among the trees and and with so many butterflies on 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 our farm, like it's one of the most, it's probably one of the most shocking things when people come in. Like there's just like dozens of butterflies, you know, everywhere, flying around you, and and they land on you sometimes too. Um, and and so yeah, we're we're really focused on just bringing people in, giving them the experience of being in the space, um, and then we have a bunch of you know programs around around that you know, around that, that core, core idea of just, um, coming into a, a land that's been cared and tended for. Um, so, you know, we have, uh, anyone, we're, we're open five days a week, Tuesday to Saturday, 9am to 3pm. You can come anytime that we're open. 
Um, we have a big part of what we do is still uh, encouraging people to start gardening. So as part of that, we have about a third of our space is a nursery that where we grow a huge variety of primarily edible, medicinal, and native plants. Uh, we, I'm a fruit freak, um, so we have a lot of fruit trees, um, and we have a lot of unusual fruit trees that you can't find anywhere else that I, you know, I've collected and smuggled and <laughs> to bring to bring to our nursery. Um, yeah, so and, you know, with the nursery, we, we're particularly growing things that do really well in Southern California um, that will provide you with food year-round without too much effort. And we, we, we just spend a lot of time with people when they come in just to like, we're not just trying to sell people plants. Like we want people to be successful with the, in their gardening. So we, we give people a lot of advice and spend a lot of time with everyone that comes in. Um, and then there's, you know, actually the, we're, we're right now in the process of converting uh, about half of the land away from the intensive vegetable production that it's been set up with for years. And we're going to be planting like a hundred more fruit trees. We're going to be putting in ponds. We're going to be putting in like, just like weird fun things so that when you come, there's just like, it's going to be like a edible, magical botanic garden. Um, so you'll, if you come now, you'll see like a lot of emptiness, but we're working on that, that transition right now. Um, in terms of our programs, um, you can join the membership program if you're local or if you're non-local. Um, we do an online gardening class with the members every month, and then we have an in-person gardening class. Which, uh, if you're if you're a member of a certain level, you get you can come to that class for free as well. Um, we have a, a farmer training program for people who can dedicate one day a week to coming to the farm. Um, and if you're in the farmer training program, you basically will just come and do whatever we're doing. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a, a loose structure. Um, whatever's going on, you can, you'll participate in that. So, you know, trainees get a pretty wide range of experience from, uh, from planting vegetables, from pruning fruit trees to, starting plants in our nursery. Um, we just completed like a couple big projects with, uh, with the trainees. We built a, we built a greenhouse, um, that took like four weeks. Um, we, you know, did, we did like a big irrigation project. Um, so really trainees get a, like a pretty wide, wide range of experience. We have a community meal with our trainees every Friday. So we cook, we cook together, we eat together with the, uh, a lot of the produce from the farm. Um, we have a beekeeping, actually we're changing the name. It's not no longer a beekeeping club. We just, it's just bee club. We have a bee club, um, which is, uh, focused on, on, uh, people's relationship with bees. Uh, our, our, you know, her title now is bee amiga or bee amiga Lola. <laughs> She started as a, a honey beekeeper, 
and that was originally the intention of the the program and it's, it's still a huge part of the program is keeping honeybees um, or caring for honeybees but now also they're uh, working on creating habitat for native bees learning about you know the thousands of endemic calif and thousands of endemic bees to California and they're creating habitat and providing forage for them and yeah we we distribute what you know the produce that we do grow we send to these two pay what you can markets in the community um i'm sure there's stuff i'm missing we do we do fun events we just had a a winter farm carnival uh we had uh we had a bunch of games we had fresh sugar cane from our farm being pressed in the juice we had a a booth that we just filled with a bunch of pumpkins and we gave every we gave you a bat and like goggles and then you just smashed the crap out of all the pumpkins we had petting sheep we had face painting we had live uh, we had music uh, we have food so Sounds you know fun. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And so if people are interested, there's a lot on your website and I'll include that in the show notes um, so people can get connected. But I, the last section of my podcast of each episode, I always ask is a rapid fire round and it's five questions, quick hits. I use the word nature. I'm going to replace it for you with (laughs) earth. We can, we can do a modified thing so yeah are you ready for the last five questions yeah yeah i'm ready okay what is your favorite place on on the earth favorite place on the earth um i went to school at ucsd and if you walk across campus there's this little piece of land that they call the uh, the cliffs and you sit on a cliff and you can see over, you know, over the Pacific Ocean. And it's a very beautiful spot. What is the animal, mineral, or plant that resonates with you the most? Animal, mineral, or plant. Okay. <laughs> I have an ironic version of that answer, which is I feel like Sometimes I feel like I'm an ant just scurrying around mindlessly. (laughs) That's not the answer. My final answer. Um, I'm going to go with a squirrel. Love it. Squirrels don't get as, you know, they don't get enough appreciation. Yeah, I like climbing trees. I like eating nuts. (laughs) I like digging in the soil. And uh, I get visited by a squirrel here pretty often, too. So squirrels are on my mind. What is one thing we can do right now to connect with the earth and bring more harmony into our lives? Uh, You don't need to connect with the earth. You are the earth. If you want to find some harmony, then I don't know. Just feel what you're feeling right now. Whatever you're feeling, that's earth. What is the greatest lesson that the earth and the land has taught you? Uh, Greatest lesson that earth and land has taught me. I would say that the greatest lesson that earth has taught me is that uh, 
we live we live in relation mm. um, you know we're not individual self-reliant uh you know winner takes all entities we we live in relation and and um nurturing your relations is is really nurturing yourself complete the sentence the earth brings me <laughs> everything <laughs> there you go thank you thank you so much for this conversation i really loved connecting with you especially because i'm new to the la area you're local um and it's been nice for me to get to know the land out here um, because I grew up in upstate New York. So it's really fun for me to connect with you and, and really begin to bring more relationship to this environment that is still new to me. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Farmer Rishi. I hope after hearing his story, you feel inspired to try your hand at gardening if you haven't already. You can do what Rishi suggests and create a compost. That's all for me this week. I hope you take care of yourself and get outside whenever you can. Until next time, bye. You just listened to an episode of the Our Nature Podcast. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review it. Thank you so much for listening. Stay curious, and I'll see you next week.